Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Welcome everyone. We are a little late, but I was doing interesting things. So welcome to all of you. I'm in another place. I don't have my keyboard here. So, maybe we'll just chant a little bit. We're going to um, to read some, discuss some interesting things about how Krishna fulfills the desire of his devotees um, through the agency of Yoga Maya and how Yoga Maya makes, uh, we're discussing how Yoga Maya makes different arrangements and we're going to learn more about the arrangements that she makes. It's very interesting. And it. what's nice about it is it reveals the nature of the spiritual world. And I always like it when... Um, it's always nice to learn more intimate, intricate details about the spiritual world because... because... it... I believe it, it just helps us understand the reality of what we're dealing with. That <laughs> what we that this is not the reality, that that is. And you know, when you you have to understand the reality to understand what isn't the reality. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what I like about discussing details and analyzing the nature of how the spiritual energy works in Goloka and in in Gokul Prajadam on this planet. It just because that's the reality. And then it helps us understand the perverted reflection as a perverted reflection, which it is. But sometimes it's difficult to see this world as a perverted reflection because it's all we know and we're not comparing it to what it's reflecting. So when you compare it to what it's reflecting, and you say, oh yeah, it's just backwards. And then you start, you can better see this world as a reflection. And um, I think it's very powerful to do that. So that's what we're going to do today. And we'll begin chanting Jai Radha Madhava. Radha Madhava Kunjavi Hari Jeradha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Kopijanavalava Giribharadhari Kopijanavalava Giribharadhari Shodhanandana Brajjana Ranjana Shodhanandana Brajjana Ranjana Jumunatira Panachari Jamunatira Panachari Radha Madhava Kunjavi Hari Jiradha Madhava Kunjavi Hari Kupi Kupijanavallava Girivarthari 
Excuse me for one minute. I have something, some something to drink that I'm going to bring in. Although this, I'll drink this. Yesterday, hopefully I won't get intoxicated from it. It's still okay. So now I have the task figuring out where we left off last time, which I seem to be failing at miserably. Um, and uh, anybody can help me because I don't mark it. That's, I should mark it, but I didn't. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to guess. Anyway, I'm going to start reading as we normally do and see where that takes us. And um, I got sidetracked today when I was preparing for class. Uh, I, I do a search of the word Yogamaya and then I go through the different places where that's discussed, but I got caught reading something that was so interesting that I only added one quotation about Yoga Maya for today, which may not, may not be enough. We may come to the end of it. If that's the case, then I will explain to you what I was reading or maybe even go and read it. It was so interesting. I got enthralled. And then I began... After I finished doing that, um, I was enthralled with something else that I heard yesterday and I needed to do some more investigation. And the result is we may finish reading the topic of Yoga Maya, so we may end up having a discussion about some related issues to the nature of the gopis who are married and the gopis who aren't married. Okay, so I'm going to begin reading on the page of, top of page 71. It says, Sri Rupa gives us the key to the answer. And we were discussing, you remember we read that when Krishna went to, to Dwarka, the gopis expanded and they all went there. And then it said that they all left Vrindavan. But then further, further reading was, well, it was an expansion. They were still there. There was some confusion. Sri Rupa gives us the key to answer in Lalita Madhava. There is a dial there in a dialogue between Radha and Krishna just before they were married. At that time, Radha was known as Satyabhama. Satyabhama. Krishna 
asked Radha whether she had any desires that he could fulfill. She replied that she wanted to be with him and the gopis in their original forms in Vrindavan, not in Dwarka. Krishna agreed to fulfill her desire. Yogamaya then revealed that she had arranged the situation in such a way that neither Krishna nor the gopis had ever left Vrindavan. Everyone's happy. Radharani's in Vrindavan. Radharani's in, in Dwarka as Satyabhama. All arranged by... Uh, you know, it could appear that they left. It could not appear. Krishna never leaves Vrindavan, but the gopis don't see him. So many parent contradictions. Nonetheless, Krishna's agreeing to return to Vrindavan set the following sequence of events into motion. First, you know, you, you know, we always think, why didn't Krishna go back to Vrindavan? He actually went back many times. It's just not explained that way in the Bhagavatam. I think the Bhagavatam only explains once he went back after he killed the demon Dantavakra in Mathura. Then he went to Vrindavan, being close. But he went back more than that. I think maybe four times he went back. Sometimes going back, stay for a few months, then leaving. So, Krishna's agreeing to return to Vrindavan set the following sequence of events into motion. First, Yogamaya mysteriously returned all the gopis to Prakat Raja. Well, Krishna's going back to Vrindavan, they better be there, right? So we read that they left Vrindavan, expanded, joined him in Dwarka. That's That was the original premise. Let's go with that premise right now. This makes sense. Yogamaya mysteriously returned all the gopis to Prakata Braja. Then she arranged for every participant in the pastime to forget that it happened or to think that it had just been a dream. In other words, that I guess he's referring to that they were in Dwarka and been returned. This is explained by Srila Sanatana Goswami in Brihad Bhagavatamrita. And finally, although Krishna had remained in Dwarka, the gopis realized that they could be with him in the Aprakata Dham by deeply absorbing themselves in thoughts of him. The principle of achieving Krishna by deep absorption in him was described by Krishna to Uddhava in Srimad Bhagavatam and further elaborated upon at the beginning of the chapter 12 of this book. This book is Krishna's I think, Sangati by Shivaram Swami. So, Sometimes when Prabhupada says Krishna never leaves Vrindavan, he says, well, in Leela Smaranam, he never leaves the thoughts of the devotees in Braj. So therefore, he exists in his thoughts. He exists in their thoughts because thinking of Krishna is non-different than associating with him because he's absolute. Still, they wanted Krishna to be personally present. So... There's this idea that he's not there and they're feeling separation. But we understand that in separation, 
one is always thinking of the object they're separated from. So that way, Krishna's always, they're always thinking of Krishna, they're always remembering, and he's present that way. There's also said that he never leaves Vrindavan, because when he leaves Vrindavan, he leaves in another form. His original form remains in Vrindavan. That's the old, That's where that original form exists. And when he leaves Vrindavan, it's a different feature. We call it the Vasudev feature. So there, there are different understandings. And from our perspective, when we look at separation externally, it, it appears that the devotee is suffering and Krishna is absent. But when it's examined externally, the, the suffering which appears to be external is really manifestations of love and ecstasy. So sometimes it's bewildering. And this Krishna was there, he's not there. Uh, So-called, you know, separation is never really, a, uh, never really possible if you're thinking of Krishna always. But apparent, apparently there's separation. And that apparent separation increases the love. And as we said last week, that's what Krishna does. He just does things to increase love. And Yoga Maya is the assistant, and she understands what will increase love, so she does those things. In any case, don't worry, Krishna went back at least four times. And even though it looked like the gopis were dying, now we learn that they're all in Dwarka. Also, now he's going back, they're being shipped back, and they don't know what's going on. Yogamaya's revelation explained how events of the uppercut Leela go on eternally, simultaneous to events taking place in the Prakat Leela. Aprakat means, in the spiritual world, Prakat means here, Prakat means manifested, it means we can see them. Aprakat means you can't see them because they're in the spiritual world. You can see them in the spiritual world, but from this world you can't see them. The events of the Aprakat Leela, the Leela up there, go on eternally. Simultaneously, to events taking place here, some of which even appear contradictory. We we read last week. We read about the Yogamaya creating a kamsa, temporary kamsa for some leela. So there, there may be similar and they may be different. And um, Krishna doesn't grow up in the spirit in the spiritual world. In Aprakat leela, he's not growing up, and these demons don't really exist there. Although, as Prabhupada said, rumors. Krishna killed Kangsa many, many times. It's going on. So, from the viewpoint of the Aprakat Leela, then, the conclusion is that Krishna and the gopis were eternally enjoying an Aprakat Vrindavan. They had never left. So, they left to go to Dwarka and expanded, but they never left the Aprakat Vrindavan. Okay, it's getting more dimension, multidimensional. Of course, they never left. That's always a fact. They never would leave. So they're always in Vrindavan. Krishna's always in Vrindavan. Just may not be manifest to our eyes. Okay. So now we're going to go back to the discussion, which I find extremely interesting and eye-opening, is about the gopis' husbands.
Remember, we had that discussion before. They're not actually consorting with those husbands. So there's more detail. You all have you all have paid the price to hear these leelas because you spent a few months listening to the philosophy of Yoga Maya. So now you're being rewarded with cream on top of your cake and lots of cherries and walnuts and maybe some syrup as well. Well, this might be the syrup here. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur quotes Ujvala Nilamani in his commentary on this verse. This is the quote. The gopis' jealous husbands consorted not with their wives, but with doubles manufactured by Yoga Maya. Doubles. The gopis had doubles. And their husbands consorted with the doubles, not with them. Thus, these men never actually had any intimate contact with the divine ladies of Raja. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that Yoga Maya created doubles of the gopis. And those doubles remained by their husbands' sides. That's convenient, you know. You want to go out and dance with Krishna. How are you going to do it? Well, if you, could, if you have a double and your husband's with the double, then you can go. It's perfect. Chapter 11 of Krishna Sangati summarizes a pastime described in Gopal Champu in which Yoga Maya reveals that the doubles she created the night of the Rasa dance were not manifested for that one occasion alone. Indeed, from the time the gopis were married until Krishna returned to Vrindavan some 45 years later, the doubles of the gopis had engagements by Yoga Maya's mystic powers. So, so Yoga Maya is facilitating the gopis' desire to be with Krishna and dance with Krishna in the Rasa dance. What what you find, which is which is so interesting, which is what I was reading this morning. You're like, what were you reading that was so interesting? It was describing various devotees who have various desires for relationship with Krishna. And where all these devotees went after Krishna wound up his Leela. Some of them were demigods whose Krishna's eternal associates merged with. And they went back to their demigod planets. Some were worshippers of Vishnu it went back to Baikuntha. They they all went to different places according to their desire. Whatever it was and whatever relationship they had, they wanted, when Krishna wound up his Leela, that's where they went. So that's not a one size fits all. But what was interesting in reading it was that was that was the explanation of the different kinds of devotees with different relationships and all attaining the destination which was suited to that relationship and suited to their desire and mentality. Krishna knowing all of that and then fulfilling that. So whatever it is you want in your relationship, that will be arranged. Or you can say whatever your relationship is. 
or you can say however you develop your relationship, you will attain that destination. So let's continue reading this. And what, this is interesting, isn't it? Maybe uh, those of you who are newer to Krishna consciousness, you're getting, I don't know, you're getting a heavy dose today. The last few days, actually. And what were the gopi lookalikes doing? They were engaging in duties that would have brought the original gopis into close proximity to their husbands. In other words, they were doing the things that they would that the original gopis would have had to do, but they don't have to do them now, and that way they're not close to their husbands because these gopis are close to their husbands. What kinds of expansions were these lookalike gopis? You read in in teachings of Lord Chaitanya, you can read in Chaitanya Charitamrita. There are various classes of incarnations, the way Krishna expands, who he expands from, what their functions are. So so this question, what kinds of expansions were there? There's not just one. Krishna expands or Radha expands or Yoga Maya expands for different functions of those particular personalities. They were expansions of yoga maya, not of the gopis themselves. In other words, the gopis didn't say, I'm going to expand myself so I don't have to deal with these husbands. Yoga maya did that because apparently they didn't have that shakti or they didn't think about it. She did it to protect them and help them in their relationship with Krishna. In fact, the gopis were unaware of the existence of these doubles until Yogamaya finally revealed it. Interesting. They were manifestations of Yogamaya's magical powers, like the gopi demons she created. You remember, we read uh, last week that when Krishna left the Rasalila, the gopis were enacting his leelas, and some of them played the parts of demons, and they actually were incarnated demons. Because the question came, how did how did they know the story and how did they play those parts so well? They actually incarnated as those demons by Yogamaya's Shakti. It's quite interesting. Um, in this world, we write fiction. We make things happen through fiction. We can just create an idea in our mind and we write it on a page. And there it is. And then sometimes we take that script and we make a movie, which is all fiction. But in the spiritual world, they do the same thing, but they actually do it in real life. And they don't need to go to Hollywood to do it, or you know, yoga is the original. You know, if you start a, if you start a, if you start a film company, you can call it Yoga Maya because she's the original. It's the original film company, but she does it in real life. So, interesting, right? So she writes the whole script, imagines, you know, how it will be, and then she makes it happen. So this is why sometimes when you read about the spiritual world, you're like, you, your head starts spinning. So, well, because it, it just conceives, conce- conceptualizes, and then it just happens. Unlike that. That would be kind of nice if that happened here. Conceptualize, you know, I want this, I want that. 
you can conceptualize the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect house. At the house, do you get tired of it? Just conceptualize another one. And, okay, let's get rid of this one. Bring that one. It's kind of like what you do on, you know, software. Oh, we can build this house. I don't like that. What about this? Build this house. But she actually does that. That's why the, you know, the virtual, it's kind of like compared to the spiritual world, the virtual world is it's like, you know, you can <clears throat> you can make movies and you can make cartoons and you can do all this stuff with software. But compared to what the spirit what's going on in the spiritual world, they're actually doing it. They have the software to actually do it in reality. You know now artificial intelligence and you create robots and you create people that are like it's gonna be so weird, you'll have like they'll download the, these robots will download a mind pretty much that can react and talk to you like you say something and you know I'm feeling kind of frustrated and they go oh, I'm really sorry to hear that it sounds like you're you know having a bad day you know it'll be like a normal person you know after years and years and years and years of research and work and more research and more work and advancement of technology and billions of dollars and Billions of hours, they'll come up with something. And Yoga Maya just thinks of it, and it's not a robot. It's actually real. So, nice, isn't it? Um, big distinction we've just made today between this world and that world. So in this world, we think, you know, we're, we're creating, you know, all kinds of amazing things. And it's like, wow, this new gadget and this new software. And Yoga Maya is like looking at us thinking, are you kidding me? This is all, all you're doing is virtual stuff. I actually do it in real life, in and in um, what's in real time. It doesn't take me. It's not going to take me fifty years of research to write the software to make uh, doubles of the gopis. We just we just make them and that's done, and it's happening in real time in front of your eyes. Pretty cool, huh? So you know. I just wanted to make that point. We think, oh, we could do all kinds of fantastic things with software. Compared to Yoga Maya, this is just like, this is like kid stuff, what we do. Mm. Okay. I'll read this again. So who, who are these double gopis? They were expansions of Yoga Maya, not of the gopis themselves. In fact, the gopis were unaware of the existence of these doubles until Yogamaya finally revealed it. They were manifestation they were manifestations of Yogamaya's magical powers. Like the gopi demons she created when the gopis acted out pastimes at the time he left the Rasadance arena. He wants to create doubles. She can do it. And Yoga Maya did not manifest these gopi doubles continuously. The original gopis had to see, talk with, and serve at a distance their husbands to feel the reality of their paramour love. In, in other words, paramour love means the, that a married woman is engaging with a, another man. So there had to be some conception that these are my these are my husbands. These had to be conception that this is my husband. 
in order to feel par more love, which then increases the feeling with Krishna because I'm a married woman with an unmarried man. And so that that is like the worst thing in this world and the best thing in that world. At such times, Yogamaya would conceal the doubles only to reveal them again when necessary. So they, she, they didn't know the doubles existed and they, she, they had to think these are my husbands so they could experience the paramour rasa completely. Interesting what's going on up there, isn't it? You probably didn't know this, right? You were just down here worrying how to pay your bills and well, up there all this is going on. Well, this is not even up there. This is on this. This is Brajavila here on this planet. Anyway, better think about this than what's going on down here. It's not so interesting. I mean, you know, it seems like what's going on here is interesting until you read this. Then you realize what's going on down here is not that interesting. And just as Yoga Maya invested the magical gopi demons with inimical feelings towards Krishna, she invested the gopi lookalikes with feelings of attachment for their husbands. The original gopis did not have the attachment. They loved only Krishna. So you understand? This is all to increase the rasa. They had to fake having this relationship then they can say, I'm married, and now this is my paramour. Unlike the gopi demons who were manifest only for as long as the gopis were imitating Krishna's pastimes, the gopi lookalikes spent an entire lifetime as the faithful wives of the gopas after Krishna had married the original gopis. So now you're probably all wondering, wait a minute, well, who are these gopi lookalikes? Are they actually, like, are they devotees? Or did they, you know, are they gopis-to-be? Or what's going on here? And that's all I have for today. And so I'm going to see if there's any discussion. And I have to admit and apologize to you that I became lazy today. I just got absorbed in thinking about other things and reading other things. So depending how the discussion goes, I can read what I was reading, which I think you'll find fascinating. So all is not lost. Okay, let me go to the chat and see if there's any chat to chat. Um, okay, welcome to all of you. And unfortunately, I didn't. what I just read, I didn't send to Nadia. I was really lazy this morning. I gave six hours of classes yesterday, so I guess that had kind of made me lazy. Mm. 
Okay. So we have a statement or a question from Jyotirmaya. Krishna makes things to increase love. Yesterday I lost my initiation japa around the temple in Villa Vrindavan. I am desperate. Well, yeah, now you have the experience of what it's like. The Prabhupada says when you lose something, you think about it. I could pacify you, Jyotirmaya. If you don't find it, Prabhupada said, it doesn't matter. It's okay. So, Kamalakshi Radhika is saying, she's thinking, what has Krishna done in my life to increase my love for him? And then she's saying, well, he's done many things. Well, I would say, once you become a devotee, if you let Krishna do things, he'll do it. He'll do many things. That's for sure. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't look doesn't look like he's doing it. Sometimes it looks like he's your enemy. Like, why would he do that if he loves me? Well, of course, we're not seeing it as Krishna's seeing it. But if you you know if you don't understand this now, when you're older and you can look back at your life, then you'll understand it. If you become a devotee and you sincerely want to be Krishna conscious, then Krishna will do things which will help you. Even if it doesn't look like he's helping you. Or even if it's not pleasant. Why would Krishna do anything to his devotee to make it difficult for the devotee to become Krishna conscious? And if it seems like he's making it difficult, putting an obstacle in the way or whatever, it's actually to increase your desire. You may not understand it at that moment. It just may not be apparent. But that's why he's doing it. And I always think that if I don't understand why Krishna's doing it, I just always default to the fact that this is a manifestation of his love and affection. And maybe I don't see the whole picture now. So rather than doubt him or fault him or just become depressed or confused, I think, oh, this is a manifestation of Krishna's love for me that he's doing this. And even though it may be painful, he's doing something that's going to help me. And I, I need to see how it's helpful. I need to think how it's helpful. Well, like yesterday I was giving class. We're doing a seminar. We're talking about tolerance. Then I was saying that if you want to learn tolerance, then you are in the best place being on this planet because there's so many things to tolerate all the time. So we don't like to be tolerant because tolerant means Things bother us. So who wants to be around things that bother us? But the reality is, so many things, at least potentially, are upsetting. So, and when, and when you face those, then you get to practice tolerance. 
So if you want to practice tolerance, this world is a fantastic place to do it because there's so many things to tolerate. And and then if you have the right thinking, you think, well, Krishna put many things on my path so I could learn to be tolerant, many difficult things so I could learn to be tolerant. And that's his mercy. Now I've become more tolerant. Now these things don't bother me anymore. Or now I know how to tolerate them. So one or two things will happen. You'll be better at tolerating or you'll transcend or you'll reformulate how you see things so you won't, they won't bother you anymore. And that, that is only because Krishna put things in front of you that, and so you learned how to process them. Now, before you learn how to process them, you suffer because you don't tolerate them. And you think, Krishna, why are you, why are you putting all this in front of me? This is not fair. I don't deserve it. I chanted my rounds today. I want my money back. You know, you can't do this. So, as I said, I always think, okay, I just don't understand now. But I know it's a manifestation of his love. I just maybe don't feel it or don't see it exactly that way at this moment in time. But as I advance, my own experience is as I advance it becomes easier and easier to see it is a manifestation of his love and becomes more clear over time how it is. It couldn't be anything else. Now, one other thing we spoke about, which is very, very important, is that sometimes we make mistakes. Not sometimes. Often we make mistakes. Or often we think in the wrong way or we say or do the wrong thing. That's part of being a conditioned soul. And when you do something wrong, you get a reaction. Not a good one, a bad one, generally. Maybe sometimes you get no reaction. At least observable observable reaction. But often when you do something wrong, you get a reaction. And I think the worst thing we can do is think, well, Krishna must not like me because of this reaction. When in fact... It's just an, it's just a physical reaction to something we did. Like I told somebody something really nasty, and they punched me in the nose. Krishna, how, how come you allowed that idiot to punch me in the nose? And Krishna says, because you're an idiot for telling him what you said, for saying what you said, and this guy is known to be violent, and you don't say things like that to violent people. No, but I'm a devotee and I chant on my rounds. He's not supposed to do that. Yeah, well, you know. Okay, okay. Sometimes Krishna may come. Some miracle will happen. And it does happen. Just about when he's to punch, punch you in the nose. He gets a phone call that he was expecting from somebody important and he stops and he picks it up and you run away. Okay, that does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Krishna does protect us. I don't want us to lose faith in Krishna's protection. But it's wrong to think that I can do something wrong and Krishna will always make up and protect me. And if he doesn't, he doesn't like me. 
you're hammering a nail and you're negligent and you, Krishna, why did you allow me to do that? And Krishna says, because you're an idiot, that's why. That's the way we have to see it. Not you know, I'm an idiot and I'm blaming Krishna. No, I'm an idiot. I made the mistake. How can I blame him? Well, it's your fault you made me an idiot. Yeah, you can blame him forever, you know. If you didn't make me an idiot, I wouldn't have smashed my thumb. So, you know, like, you can blame Krishna forever, but the problem is you're going to stay in the material world forever if you do that. So there are consequences to blaming Krishna. And so it's important that if we make a mistake and there's a reaction to the mistake, we acknowledge that. It, was, it had nothing to do with Krishna. Krishna was like, he was having fun with the cowherd boys. They were playing. And while you were, you know, smashing your thumb with the hammer because you weren't paying attention, he was, you know, having fun up there and he wasn't like trying to curse you because he doesn't like you. I'm going to make you smash your thumb today because, you know, you chanted bad rounds. That really makes me feel bad. So, you know, we're looking at Krishna like an ordinary person who has ordinary emotions, full of envy and resentment and jealousy and anger. That's absolutely insane. That's insane is not even a... doesn't even describe a tenth of what that consciousness is. It's It's absolute madness. And it's especially madness because we cause the problem upon ourselves, and we don't do anything about it or we're not smart enough to know how to do about it so we keep to do to do anything about it so we keep creating the same problem and keep blaming Krishna for the problem we keep creating. Yeah. If there's any definition of madness, I think that's the best one. At least from a from a tattva perspective, that kind of madness you don't need. So, and then once you say, well, it's it's my responsibility to be Krishna conscious, it's my responsibility to take care of my spiritual life and do what I have to do, and if circumstantially things don't go exactly the way I want, I adapt. Based, how do I adapt? Because Krishna's given me like a million instructions how to adapt. And I'm sitting there blaming Krishna. Why are you doing this to me? You know, this is not fair. You know, I don't deserve it. And Krishna's saying, you idiot. I've given you a million and one instructions how to adapt. Why don't you follow them instead of blaming me? It's complete insanity. Total insanity. They should actually have a mental hospital just for devotees who think that way. Maybe we can develop some psychotropic drug for that disease. Now, I don't mean to offend any of you. I guess it's too late. I already have, if you think this way. But I'm trying to make it funny so you know, we can laugh at it. But it's a very important point. And you will see in your life if you if you actually care to see and are honest enough to see, you will see that all the problems that you have 
you created. Now, that was not a very profound statement because we understand the law of karma. You know, you reap, you know. How come there's a carrot here? How come there's a carrot growing in the ground? Uh, Prabhu, you planted a carrot seed. Oh, really? Is that, that's why there's a carrot? Because I planted a carrot? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, we're suffering. Why am I suffering? It's not fair. Krishna doesn't love me. Because you planted a suffering seed. Oh, really? Did I? Yeah. Otherwise, there wouldn't be suffering. Or, you're suffering because you don't like carrots. You planted a carrot seed. Krishna grew a carrot for you. And you're like, yeah, I don't really like carrots. Well, whose fault is that? Right? So, if you look at life this way, the advantage is you can then you can see how to change things. You can see what to do to not create suffering for yourself or at least understand how to think about situations so they don't cause you suffering. Yesterday in in the workshop, for those of you who missed it, I'll explain one one aspect of the workshop that relates to what we're talking about now that I think is... Um, um, I think it's so... It's so important. So what we're talking about here is like looking at situations in a way that doesn't cause us suffering or distress. Because some, sometimes the way we look at things just creates anxiety for us, but we could see it in a different way. So we're, that's what we're talking about here. You know, We're like blaming Krishna for something because we're not seeing it in terms of my own responsibility. And we're not seeing how well I could change the way I think about this or change the way I'm acting and get a different result. And so, you know, we all have this experience of, of how sometimes we look at a situation and it bothers us. And um, have you ever been upset about a situation? You know, it may be that some devotees being mistreated it doesn't have to be about you. It may be something's going on in your temple and you, you you really feel it's wrong and it's very upsetting. We've all been there, or it's a political thing that's upsetting, or just the weather's upsetting, or something's upsetting. And we dwell on it, and we dwell on it, and we dwell on it. And as we dwell on it, we become more upset. We've all experienced that, isn't it? And isn't it, you know, if you if you look back at it, at something that upset you in the past, and you became basically obsessed with and really, really disturbed. And uh, and I'm sure some of you have experienced being so disturbed that it affected your normal functioning in your life. Like you, you wasted time talking about it and you were supposed to chant your rounds, but you ended up talking about it or you were supposed to do this service or work, whatever, and you ended up thinking about it, writing about it, discussing it. And your whole life is evolving around this thing, and this thing is really bothering you. It's really disturbing you. What I would like to suggest is that when we do those things to the point where it's disrupting our lives, we're actually willfully, and I know I know it doesn't feel this way, feel this way, but we are willfully, willfully, fully willing to cause ourselves suffering. Because 
if I'm hammering and I keep missing the nail and keep hammering my finger, right? And you're watching me do this and I'm sitting there hammering my finger and you're looking at me and thinking, are you nuts? Why do you keep hammering your finger? It's obvious something's wrong up here that I keep hammering my finger. But we're hammering our head with thoughts that are distressful. Or we're hammering our head with thinking, uh, perceiving a situation in a way we don't have to perceive it. There's other ways to see it. But the way we see it is driving us absolutely miserable. And we keep hammering. Bang, bang, bang. That's my point. So, when Krishna says the mind's the enemy, the mind in itself is not the enemy. We're the enemy and we're using the mind to become the enemy because we could just say, mind, shut up. That's it. Or we could say, mind, okay, this stuff bothers me, but you know what? I've just decided, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to focus on it anymore because this is just too disturbing. And you can do that. We can all do that. Maybe not always easy when you're of an and when you are an obsessive person, or you have some um, problem, and and therefore you have to look at the world as against you. That's just your paradigm. Yeah, then it's harder to stop hitting your finger. And if you're really sick, you'll hit your finger because you think you deserve it. No, I just deserve it. And subconsciously, sometimes I know this sounds crazy. But subconscious, subconsciously, sometimes we will, we will allow this suffering to go on because on some level we think we deserve to suffer because we're a bad person. And so we reframe situations and see things in a way that causes us suffering because some, on some level we think, actually, I deserve it. And that could cause us, believe it or not, it could cause us to see a situation in a way that's upsetting just because we think we deserve to be upset. Is that weird? Yeah, it is weird, because flip it around. I could see it in a different way. Why do I want to see it in a different way? Because it's disturbing to see it in this way. If I see it in a different way, I can be more steady. It's a better way to see it, and it's a better way for my spiritual life to see it. And I value my spiritual life. I value myself. I value my commitment to my spiritual practice. I don't want to do anything that's going to be harmful for myself. So this was my realization that if I'm caring for myself, if I'm caring for my spiritual life, I won't allow myself to see things in a way that disrupts my spiritual life. And certainly there's lots of things out there that can disrupt our spiritual life if we see them in a certain way, isn't it? Or, or uh, let me re- re- say it in another way, there's a lot of things out there that I can't even re- re-examine in a different way. They're just disturbing. Any way you look at top, bottom, left, right, you know, any way you look at it, it's disturbing, right? So what do I do then? I don't focus on it because if I do, what's the result? I get disturbed. I could even get depressed by thinking about it. I could even get completely disappointed. I could, I've seen, I think you've seen also, sometimes devotees get so disturbed about something, 
they actually stop chanting their rounds. I don't know if you've seen this, but it happens. Something goes on in our movement that disturbs them so much, riles them up so much, gets them so obsessed with how bad it is that I want nothing to do with this gun. Okay, I understand. You may not want anything to do with this gun. But a lot of times, that saying, I want nothing to do with ISKCON, not that I recommend you leave ISKCON, but I understand how you may feel that way. But sometimes the saying, I want nothing to do with ISKCON, also is accompanied by, and therefore, I give up my sadhana. This is a real problem. I've seen it. Maybe it's happened to you a little bit. Maybe you've been affected by something in our movement and it's negatively impacted your sadhana. You're like really frustrated, you know, like what's the use? It can. So, utsahan means enthusiasm. Utsahan, Rupa Goswami says, is necessary, amongst other things. It's the first item he mentions is necessary. So, if you actually care for yourself and care for your Krishna consciousness, you can't, you can't see things in a way that would cause you to lose enthusiasm because it will, it potentially could ruin your spiritual life. You could lose your impetus by thinking about something. That is, is, is just making you look at Krishna consciousness in a way that you have no enthusiasm to do it. If you actually love yourself, if you actually care about yourself, if you actually care about your spiritual life, you would realize, oh, okay, I'm seeing things in this way. This is, this is very harmful for me because I'm losing my enthusiasm. I'm starting to offend devotees. I don't even want to be part of ISKCON. I have to stop focusing on this. That's how you would think. That just makes sense, doesn't it? So as I was thinking about this, then I was considering if I actually care about my spiritual life, then I will care about what I'm focusing on because I want to focus on things which are inspiring. That I was speaking with my daughter the other day and she was asking me how I deal with difficulties and situations. And I had actually been thinking about this because I was developing this course on resilience and thinking, well, how do I deal with it? And and something I learned that I want to share with you that, that could be extremely helpful. I realized th- this is actually unconscious that I do this. But I've learned, I've learned to do this because I did it consciously. And when you do something consciously and you practice it enough, you start doing it unconsciously. And I didn't realize I was doing this unconsciously. What I do is I unconsciously reprogram or reformat my mind to look at a situation in the way that would be most advantageous for me to peacefully deal with it and be successful at what I'm doing. So, in other words, it's like, let's say a situation comes up and I I have to do something. So, you know, maybe there's obstacles both externally and maybe there's some some obstacles in, in terms of how I'm seeing it and how it's affecting me internally. So, subconsciously, I start reformatting everything, reprogramming, you could say. So, well, what would be the best way to deal with this? What would be the best way to think about this? What would be the best attitudes to have, the best understandings and so forth? Because I want to put myself in an optimal position to be successful at what I'm doing. And I want to put myself in the optimal position to have the right consciousness 
to be successful at what I'm doing. And I don't want to cause myself suffering by seeing a situation in a particular way that just agitates my mind and that makes it impossible to actually deal with it. I can't deal with this. Don't ask me. I can't deal with this devotee. That's it. Don't ask me to work with, uh, you know, like, like, okay, I don't like this devotee. So I start, my mind automatically starts reformatting my perception of that devotee. Okay, I'm, I'm going to have to deal with this devotee. So how am I going to do that? How, how can I create a favorable environment? Environment. So I was realizing, I was saying, that's amazing that my mind automatically does that. And I, I was realizing it's through, through years and years of studying the best, I think studying the best ways to deal, the best strategies, the best attitudes to have in every situation that I think I just embodied those attitudes in a way that subconsciously it's just like it's like a button and my mind goes and then I see it in a way that I can deal with it. Wouldn't that be good if we could like transmit to you that that program or just like reformats? This is not working. This is depressing. This is frustrating. I can't see how to move forward. Oh, now I can see. Now I'm happy I can see how to go forward. So Really, that's what Krishna consciousness does. That's what it's supposed to do. And that's what we're supposed to do with our lives. So, if you're in a situation and you're like complaining about it and you're discouraged by it, etc., etc., wouldn't it be nice if you could like hit a button that would reformat the way you see it and now you're okay with it? Well, well, the button is there but I think a lot of us don't realize the button's there. Or maybe we don't, we're so conditioned to this other way of thinking, we couldn't even press the button if we saw it. But I'm trying to appeal right now to, to your like logical mind. And I'm trying to appeal right now to your, to your self-nurturing potential. That if something is disturbing you, if something is bothering you, and you want to nurture yourself, then wouldn't it be good to try to re... I don't know if reformat is the right word. It's really review it. But review, re-view. What's the word I'm looking for? Let's say recolor it. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice to recolor it in a way that now it's no longer an obstacle for you? Or maybe even possibly it's actually helping you. That's what we, that's, if you actually care for you, this is my thesis, my thesis, okay, it's my thesis. My thesis is if you actually care for yourself, that, that's what you will do. You'll always, no, recalibrate, that's the word, that's the word I'm looking for. Recalibrate, recalibrate means to readjust. Okay, so I'm seeing this situation and it's really frustrating me. How can I recalibrate it so it's no longer frustrating me? Sometimes the recalibration is just doing something to help the situation. That's all, you know. It's a frustrating situation. Unless I do something to improve the situation, this situation will drive me crazy. I, I don't know how to think about it other other than get other than be upset about it and I somehow other can't stop thinking about it even though I'm trying. What's the last thing you can do? Do something to improve it. It it, it can Reduce the pain of the situation. So what I'm saying is some strategy, somehow, somehow or other, 
You can do that, or you should do that. If you actually, they actually are caring for your spiritual life, you actually care about yourself, if you actually love yourself, if you actually have compassion for yourself, that's what you will do. Let's take it into a relationship, like a marriage. It's not working, right? We're fighting like cats and dogs. I'm frustrated. I'm unhappy. He's frustrated. He's unhappy. She's frustrated. She's unhappy. So I just stop back and say, I do not want to do this to myself. I do not want to do this to my partner. I have to recalibrate. Okay, what actions could I change? What what things could I do? How could I see this differently so I don't get so frustrated all the time? How can I see this differently so I don't become so angry? What can I do differently to improve the relationship? You start thinking about that because I care about my partner and I care about my own sanity. And I care about the sanity of my children so they don't have to observe my uh, myself and my wife biting like cats and dogs. That's what I'm saying. That's what we should be doing. We should always be recalibrating. You know, like the GPS, you know, it tells you to go one one place and there's a roadblock and it recalibrates. Right? Do you ever have the GPS tell you to take a U-turn? Because it, it either it, re, it didn't figure out, it had the wrong information, but usually it's just like, yeah, there was a roadblock they didn't know about. So it's something like that. It's a recalibration. This is not working, so let's recalibrate. So my theory, my thesis is that where there is, if you increase your self-love and self-compassion, then you'll increase your recalibration potency. And then you might ask, why don't I recalibrate? Because you're conditioned to think that way. You don't know you could even recalibrate. You don't know how to recalibrate. But the fact is you do know how to recalibrate because just read Prabhupada's books. It's a recalibration. Of, of, isn't it? He's always recalibrating our vision. So that's that's my idea. I wanted to share with you that, um, you know, that's my insight into the mind is the enemy. Mind is really not the enemy. We are the enemy and we use the mind or we allow the mind to be our enemy because we could, we could recalibrate what the mind is thinking. You can't do that. It's I, I can't say it's always going to be easy for all of you because it depends on your conditioning. It depends. A, a lot of us have a very fixed way of seeing things. It's just, you know, this is my belief. This is what I think. This is how it is. And, you know, trying to get you to change is like trying to bend steel, you know, with two fingers. It's like, we can't do it. But that becomes a problem when that fixed way of thinking is disrupting your life, disrupting your consciousness. So that is the challenge for some of you. You're just like, you're not flexible. And you could own, you know, it's like, this is how it is. This is the only way it is. Okay, fine. But if that's how it is, and that's the only way it is, and that's driving you crazy, what is the point of thinking like that? It doesn't make any sense. It's not, it's not helping you. And you say, no, but that's the way it is. And I say, no, it's the way you see it. If that's the way it is, why do you need scripture to tell you how it is? Because you already know how it is. The fact is, 
if we knew how it is, we wouldn't be in material bodies. We don't know how it is, and we just think the way we see how it is is always true. And if it's driving you crazy the way you see, how true could it be? Yeah, it's truly driving you crazy, that's for sure. But other than that, it doesn't make any sense, does it? It makes absolutely no sense. So, I'd like you to meditate on this. This is one of the things that I taught yesterday in the course. Some of you were there. I want you to meditate on this. And whenever you're doing something or thinking something that is not healthy for you, ask yourself, could I use a little more self-care right now? Would that change the situation? And my answer is yes. I'm 100% convinced of this. I know people, devotees, who for the life of them, they they just can't make their... That's a strange way of saying it. They can't make their lives better. And they know what's wrong, but they're stuck. And they get stuck thinking and obsessing about all these things that can only make their life worse. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if you know anybody like that or if you've ever done that before, but they're obsessing about things that only make their life worse. I once saw this commercial. It was really funny. It was a commercial about by an investment company. And it showed a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, and wife. They were buying melons. I don't know. There are different names for these melons in different countries. We call them cantaloupe. They're orange inside and kind of brown, greenish brown on the outside. And then you shake them and I think if things move around it means they're ripe and you smell them. So it shows this couple. They're like totally absorbed in their smelling and shaking their fruit. It said, it said something like, shouldn't you be concerned about where you're invest, more concerned about where you're investing your money than this? Kind of like the connotation was they weren't concerned about how they're investing money. They were just concerned about these fruits. And, you know, so sometimes I deal with devotees and they're really obsessed about different problems in Iskand and in the world. But their own life is, they're not doing well. And and so I think of that commercial. I said, you know, you're like, shouldn't you be thinking about like what's going to help you in your life? Because all this other stuff you're thinking about is, it's not helping you at all. In fact, it's harming you. And and so I got a lot of realization from seeing this, seeing a lot of people doing this, and it was like it was like they couldn't stop. But from my perspective, it's like, wait a minute, this is so obvious that it's it's like you know, you have you're going into debt, you have bills to pay, and you're just out there playing golf every day, and you're not doing anything. It's like, so wait wait a minute, like you're about to lose your house. And you're not working, you're just playing golf, spending your money on golf. This doesn't make any sense. So, you know, this is disturbing you and you're getting more absorbed in it. It doesn't make any sense. That's my that's uh, that's my realization from helping devotees deal with their problems. That that this is kind of like the root of the problems. Um 
Krishna Khanda said the gopi demons, when the gopis were playing the part of demons and acting Krishna's pastimes, they actually, Yogamaya incarnated, incarnated, Yogamaya turned them into demons, like demon incarnation, so they could do that. Yeah, so this is what we talked about at the workshop yesterday. I guess you could still join it and get the recording. You could, if you missed it yesterday. Well, Krishna Karshan, he says, we're directors of our future lives. I'm wondering why our desires are fulfilled in the next life, not yet this life. Some are fulfilled this life. Um, Yurashwami told me that Prabhupada said, you get 50% of your karma in this life and 50% in your next life. But for a devotee, you know, karma doesn't, karma may act for a devotee, but it may not act because Krishna controls that karma in what's best. And so, like I have this, I have this strong intuition. I've always had it. And you will all be able to see if this is true. But I have this strong intuition that long after I'm gone, a lot of the work that I've begun now is going to be extremely successful, like like really well known. But it, you know, I wanted to want to be successful now, but I just have somehow I have this strong intuition, like it's going to happen after I go. Like the biggest the biggest things will happen after I go. You know, maybe Krishna just thinks that's the best thing for me. You know. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. I'll be happy to be wrong. But it's just an intuition. And that may be his, you know, just the way he wants it. Or whatever. Who knows? But maybe I was supposed to be famous. And I won't be. Maybe I wasn't. And I will be. Krishna wants it. You know? So we have to take that in consideration. The other day they played one of the Japa meditations, the Bhagavatam class here at the temple, and all the devotees felt enlightened and understood that we need to see difficulties as a gift from Krishna to improve the strength of our faith and that we shouldn't run away when these difficulties come. Yeah, I mean, Krishna has designed this world. To build our strength by having to fight. Zanadi says, the only person who makes my path of bhakti difficult is me. Krishna is just trying to help me overcome all this stuff that I've been trying to hide from myself for many years. Yeah, And so, if I ever say someone else is making my life difficult, then I can't solve the problem. Because even if someone else is making my life difficult, I'm allowing them to make my life difficult. I'm, I'm letting them make my life difficult. So I, I don't want to be unsympathetic and say things are not difficult and people are not difficult. But ultimately, you know, when, it, when, when we deal with those, when we interact with those things, we, you know, if we allow difficult people to make our lives difficult, <clears throat> then we need to acknowledge that I allowed it. Maybe I have to, <clears throat> excuse me, remove myself from those people or maybe I just don't think about it and give it attention because if I if I do then I'm allowing them to make my life miserable then it seems like they're actually doing it when I'm actually allowing them to do it right thank you Nadia 
Bhajananda says, it seems to me that most difficulties in life have been with relationships. I see that Krishna uses other devotees to help purify us. Yeah, well, <laughs> Prajananda, are you speaking from experience of a newly wedded man? <laughs> yeah, relationships are hard because we're different. And we have desires and needs. Yeah, life's easy when you're alone, you just live in a cave. Although, although it's not easy because eventually you go crazy being alone. So, you know, we need people. But sometimes people drive us crazy. But if we stay alone, we'll drive ourselves crazy. So, Rajananda, we have a relationship with ourselves also. So, um, I can tell you my experience is that my experience is that how you, the relationship you have with yourself, that's the relationship you have with others. And I was, I'm going to teach this more in the class, but I think I taught it yesterday that my personal experience was that uh, when I became self-accepting and I was saying yesterday, we all have to be self-accepting. And, and it's, you know, at some point, all of you as devotees will just come to the, you know, you'll, you'll, it, it looks like this is how self-acceptance looks for a devotee. You want to be up here. You get there, but you fall down. You climb back up, you fall down. You climb back up, you fall down. You climb up, you knock it up a little. You stay up here, you come back down. You know, it's like it's always, you know, and so at some point in your Krishna conscious career, you just say, well, I guess here is where I'm at, not here. And that's called self-acceptance. And when you realize, yeah, you know, I want to be here. I tried to be here. I, you know, like sometimes I stay up here. Or sometimes I even go up here. But I always seem to end up here. And although as painful as it is to admit it, as painful as it is to just have to accept it, I don't really have a choice because it's the reality. And self-acceptance is just, it's just like, hello, just accept what what it is? Don't pretend it's not. That's all you have to do. Stop pretending it's something else. It's not like a big deal. But for many devotees, it could take half their life to finally just go. Oh, I guess this is how I am. You know, it's kind of like. It's kind of like yeah. You know, it's kind of obvious. I just don't want to admit it. But you're all going to have to do that if you haven't done it yet. And just you know, be happy in your own skin that you're a devotee. Of, of any level, of any capacity, and just, you know, work your rear end off to get better. You know, don't give up. You know, self-acceptance isn't giving up. It's just acknowledging where I am on the map. But what I found that when I did that, all of a sudden I could, you know, all these people that used to bother me, it's like they were okay. <laughs> there was like nothing wrong with them anymore. Like, <laughs> there was a point in my life, I think, that there was something wrong with everybody. Like, everyone I knew, there was something wrong. If I had a tool that could fix everybody, I'd go around and go, okay, I'll give you a little titan here and a little hammer here and a little polish here. Like, I could fix everybody. You know, like, I, you know, give me their name. I could tell you what's wrong with them and how I would fix them. And then... When this, when I finally just you know ex accepted myself, this is how I am. You know, it's just like it's just what it is. Some parts are good, and some parts are not so good. And I'm happy to have the good parts, and I'm working on the not so good parts. 
And I was just like, okay, you know, what to do? It's just, this is who I am. All of a sudden, like I didn't need to fix anybody else. Isn't that interesting? And that's why, that's why if, you know, someone says, self-acceptance, that's not in the Shastra, that's not important. No, it's not my experience at all. My experience is like, it's, it's huge. It's huge. You know, if you're finding fault, it could be just because you're not accepting yourself and you're seeing your faults in other people. You know, and, you know if self-acceptance could cause you to have a really positive, beautiful attitude towards devotees, that's huge, isn't it? Um, self-acceptance is, is one of the best medicine, medicines for relationships, especially for marriage. Because if you, you just accept your partner as they are, you have this amazing relationship. But when you don't accept them, why do you always do that? You should be like him. You should be like her. That is a, a recipe for guaranteed disaster. And I will bet all the money I have, which is not much, that if that's the way you live in your marriage, always trying to change the person, always complaining about the person, always blaming the person, always criticizing, being condescending, I will bet all the rupees I have that in six years at max, you will, you will be in the divorce court. Of course, in order for you to get the money, you might stay together. Okay, we won't make a bet. I will just, I will just predict. Yeah, I don't have to predict. It's been predicted by people smarter than me that that's about as long as you can last if you do that. So self-acceptance, how important is it? Hey, we don't need self-acceptance. That's just some new age, you know, bogus psychology, this and that. Self-acceptance, it's absolutely necessary if you want to have a good relationship, a marital relationship. And I believe it's absolutely necessary if you want to be sane in Krishna consciousness. Because when you become a devotee, you know, it's like this high standard is just like hanging above your head. And you're like, yes, this is beautiful. This is fantastic. I want to be a pure devotee. I want to be free from envy. I want to be kind to everyone. I want to be appreciative. I want to be just like a generous person, kind-hearted. I don't want to exploit I don't want any honor, on and on, and you're all like so, so, um, what's the word, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, you're just like, this Krishna consciousness is amazing, and you're so excited that you're going to get there, until one day you realize that the there is a lot further than you thought, hmm, and you start realizing, huh, there's parts of me that aren't so nice that I kind of didn't know about before I was a devotee. And on and on, we've all been there. And so we all have to, at some point, just say, okay, this is my card of decks. This is what Krishna gave me, and let's play. And I'm okay with it, because why not be okay with it? I don't really have a choice not to be okay with it, because it's what it is. It's not that I'm okay with it and I don't want to make it better. It's just I'm okay with it because it is. And then, voila, all of a sudden, you know, people look better. You feel happier. You don't need to criticize people to be happy. You don't need to bring people down to make yourself feel good because you already feel good being the way you are, full of faults. I'm okay, I'm full of faults, but, you know, it's just, 
just what I am, and I'm working on it. You don't think, we, someone doesn't think we need that? They're probably the one who needs it the most. It's so important. So, um, if I told you, do we need to accept other devotees as they are? You would say, oh yeah, definitely. If we want to have a nice community, we have to be accepting. I'd say, do we need to be compassionate to devotees? And you say, oh, of course. If we want to have a nice community, we have to be compassionate. Do we need to be loving? Oh, yeah, six loving exchanges. That's what Prabhupada said, love and trust. Do we need to care for... Oh, yeah, devotee care. We have a department, right? And then you say, do we need to be compassionate, loving, caring, respectful, honest, etc. with ourselves? Oh, that's bogus psychology, new age something. Where'd you, you reading Buddhist books or what's wrong with you? It's not in Prabhupada's books. Is that funny? Or is that funny? So, that's my realization. Hare Krishna. So we have, I guess this class is going to go long, but what can I do? Yoga Mai creating doubles. How do we know we are not double of some jiva who is in the spiritual world? Don't worry, you're not. <laughs> How do you know? I'm telling you, you're not. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You are who you are, a jiva soul conditioned trying to get out of the material world, so you don't have to worry about it. Uh, Fabiola says, I don't know what happens in my consciousness, but when I read, sometimes I get a feeling and I can't stop crying when I read the Gita. Um, it could be that um, you feel so bad that you left Krishna, you realize you left that relationship and you're just like crying, or you feel that Krishna's so kind to give you this knowledge because it's so helpful. Some Something, probably one of those, in those two categories, there's probably something there of like remorse for turning your back on Krishna or appreciation for so much of what Krishna's giving. K.B. Kelly says, sometimes happens to me when I chant or when I do RT, I get totally overwhelmed. And just cry and cry. Haven't had it happen while reading, though. Yeah, there's, um, I think it was Raghunath. His Bhagavatam was always wet because he was crying. Tears come from affection. You know, I always say, if you're going to cry, at least cry for something in relation to Krishna or Bhakti. And that way, you know, otherwise we cry for something we lose in the material world. Harley says, how do we see a balance between our difficulties as being Krishna's mercy and viewing them as mistakes we make? We can't blame our mistakes on Krishna. It is just the result of our mistakes. Okay, so I make a mistake. So if something happens, I have to say, okay, was it my mistake or is this like Krishna's arrangement, you know? So sometimes it's, it's just obvious. It's clear. I had nothing to do with this. It's just, you know, like, COVID. Did I create COVID? I don't think so. I don't eat meat. Uh, I don't commit sin. So if COVID's a reaction to sinful activity, I had nothing to do with it. But um, am I affected by it? Yeah. Is it Krishna's arrangement for something? Seems like it. But in either case, I have to adjust to it. Right? But the problem is, if you blame Krishna for something you did, 
then that's not right. But in either case, whatever the cause is, you have to make the same adjustments. Maybe a little more adjustment if you're the cause because you have to stop doing what you did. But you're still going to have to make an adjustment even if it's Krishna's arrangement. Um, so you were asking uh, a balance between difficulties at Krishna's mercy and viewing them as some mistakes we made. Well, what I would say is if you made the mistake, if you want to turn the mistake into Krishna's mercy, is learn from it. And then you can say, well, I made a mistake, I was stupid, but it actually turned out to be Krishna's mercy because I learned not to make that mistake again. Right? So the mistake I made was my mistake, but Krishna gave me the intelligence of how to process it in a way that I won't make that mistake again, and that's Krishna's mercy. So that's how we should see it. But I already answered his question, and I answered it again. Double, double blessings. You reminded me of Chris You reminded me of something I read by David Hawkins. How people's subconscious actually likes to belittle oneself and automatically reaches out for situations or reactions where one could feel like that. We hang on to pain. It certainly satisfies our unconscious need for the alleviation of guilt through punishment. We get to feel miserable and rotten. Wow. 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 When you say something three times, that's like, that's wow-worthy. That statement was wow-worthy. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what I was intuitively feeling, but I didn't have the, like, actual psychological specific knowledge to put it in those terms. That's heavy. We hang on to pain. It satisfies our unconscious need for the alleviation of guilt through punishment. Wow. You feel guilty, then do something to make yourself miserable. Wow, that's very insightful. Thank you for that. Um, this man, David Hawkins, was a spiritual person who um, had a lot of insight into the n nature of consciousness and human psychology. Uh, you can tell from what he just said there. And Kelly Gardner. You know, Kelly, my last name is Hausner. You know what that means? People who build houses. And you're the gardener and I'm the house builder. And in India, you have so many names which, which designate occupation. Jar, someone's last name is Jari Walla, Jari Walla, right? Jari means jewelry, and Walla means one who has jewelry or sells jewelry. There's a lot of places in the world where last names were their occupations. Okay. The very thing happened to me, as I think you know, I became frustrated, oh yeah, by some things in ISKCON, and so I lost the will to chant. I felt a little confined by my sadhana, so I tried some other methods, but eventually found that not chanting regularly really throws me off balance. Today I am back 16 rounds and I understand my sadhana is not confinement but is objectively necessary for my continued spiritual development. Well, it's nice to know. We have someone who experienced that. 
that point I was making that you know you allow something to disturb you so much you can you can stop your sadhana. That's dangerous. And so that would be you know that's like like an example of just like self sabotage, uh, self envy, as Prabhupada says. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the word envy in Sanskrit is not always used the way we use it, but it's also it's used as hatred. Sometimes it's it's you know we don't use it that way in English, but in Sanskrit, dvesha, uh, which means envy, also means hatred. They're like synonymous. Uh, other words for envy, but they also mean hatred. So when we talk about self-envy, it doesn't make sense. Why would I envy, my, envy myself? I envy other people. But Prabhupada said, if you do anything which is harmful, he was specifically saying harmful spiritually. You could apply it anyway. If you do anything which is harmful for you spiritually, then Prabhupada said, are you not envious of yourself? Are you not hating yourself? Um, envy uh, also in Sanskrit means violent. Are you not being violent to yourself? Because we say that violence means anything that impedes your spiritual life. So if envy means hatred and also violence, because Prabhupada said we have envy of cows. It's, what does that mean? We're, we, because we kill them. So envy means you're killing. So if you're doing anything that's not helpful for your spiritual life, then you're envious of yourself, which means you're killing your spiritual progress. This is this is, I think, a really big issue that has that goes. It's not talked about. I don't I don't know anyone who talks about it. Of course, I don't listen to everybody, so can't say. But I've never heard, you know, any lectures, any talks about this. And this is so important, and which is um, going to be the basis of the second lesson in the course we're doing with the School of Bhakti. This topic is, I think, is hugely important. Most people become famous after they die. I don't think Krishna wants me to be famous in this life. I'll become too puffed up. <laughs> Prajananda says, I have a marriage counselor. Okay, you're good. Um, you know the solution for a good marriage? Um, be a real man. And if you're a real man, your wife can become a real woman. And then when a real man and woman get married, everything just seems to work better than when a woman who's trying to be a man and a man who doesn't know how to be a man get married. It doesn't seem to work so well. Um, Krishna Kanti Kobanini says, I find your teachings very revolutionary. Ahead of the time, this kind of bodies tend to stick with traditions and how they did things. You know, what I'm teaching is not ahead of the times outside of Iskand. I think it's quite mainstream. and But in Iskand it is. Acceptance is the gateway to happiness. Yeah, I, I like that. It's a good mantra. Tattoo that in your heart, Nadia. It'll come in handy in times of distress. Sometimes feel the way too. I definitely have conflicts with myself. What if we're too self-accepting? <laughs> I think I feel too good in my skin because that I um, I get stuck. It seems I am practicing unhealthy. So yeah. So then we. That's a good point. Unhealthy self-acceptance. Um, okay, so this is an interesting point because if if I hate myself, it's totally that's a totally Thomasic state of consciousness. And if I self if I'm self-accepting, but 
I'm just not improving, that's also tamasic. So self-accepting can be tamasic. And someone said, you know, uh, I think someone said the other day, you know, like if I criticize, you know, what they were talking about self-criticism, and if I, but if I don't, I get lazy. And as I said, okay, for some people, self-criticism may be motivating. If it's motivating, then it's not tamasic. It's not toxic. But if it's not motivating, if it's handicapping, then it is toxic. So good things can be bad, bad things can be good. That's that's just a fact. So what you said is is true. Um, Marco says, self-acceptance is necessary. Do not blame others also. I love the story of Pundarik Vijanini being slapped in the face in a dream by Lord Jagannath and Lord Baladev for criticizing the devotees of Jagannath Puri. It's a very esoteric, indeed, a very instructive story about the Lord's reaction when one criticizes or offends devotees. Um, yeah. Anything, any attitude you can develop to help you appreciate devotees and not criticize them is necessary. And I, um, you know, this is my personal experience. I can't say my personal experience is universal, but I tend to think it is based on what I've read. That self-acceptance is, it's like the basis for stable psychology. I read two psychologists who said self-compassion is the basis for psychological health. It's the foundation. So I'm not a psychologist, but they said it, and this was just my intuition. I was a psychologist in my last life, definitely. Because practically everything I read in psychology, I say, I already know that. Where did you read that? I didn't read it. I read it in the last life. You know, sometimes we're like that. You probably have skills, you know, they're just natural. Like, where'd you learn it? Like, I don't know. My father was a businessman. I said, where'd you learn business? He goes, I just knew how to do it. Okay, Paul McCartney can't read music, is it? Godadhar's Bhagavatam. Raghunath got Bhagavatam after him. Yeah. It was all wet. Why is it wet? He's crying. Oh, she didn't earn... Kelly didn't earn her last name. She's not. Well, there's still time to get your green thumb. You know, it's never too late to be a gardener. Stopping my side on today, I see as a lesson I needed to learn. Back then, I was chanting because Prabhupada says, you're supposed to chant. Since I came through that experience today, I chant because I know that it works, so I believe it was necessary. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, Good points. And my, because uh, uh, I know it's a necessary step for my own understanding. Oh, beautiful point. Okay, I'm going to tell you something a devotee told me. I'll, she can remain anonymous. She said, she's Russian, and she said, I've seen that most of the devotees in Russia become devotees because they're suffering. And she said, of course, suffering is a motivation but it's not the highest motivation. And she said, a lot of them never develop the motivation of like what Kelly's saying, you know, I want to do this because it's the right thing. I, I, you know, I'm choosing to do this, not because there's the grim reaper behind me ready to attack me and you know, I, want to, I want to run away from him. Not the grim reaper, Maya with her tridents behind me. And I'm, um, I don't want to suffer, but actually because I want to love Krishna. So she said, some devotees never make that evolution into wanting to chant because they want to chant, because they want to become pure devotees. 
they continue doing it because they're suffering, and it, it, it doesn't end up well. And then she said the other problem that happens that Prabhupada describes in the Gita is that their life becomes better and they stop suffering and they stop Krishna consciousness because there's no more impetus. So that that's true, you know. If if our entire impetus is suffering and the suffering goes away, then where's the impetus? So to connect with my desire to be Krishna conscious, to connect with my need to be Krishna conscious, really important. You know, I chant because I want to, not because I'm going to go to hell if I don't. Okay, that's a motivation, but it's a very neophyte motivation. And we're already chanting now because of that motivation. So to continue with that motivation, it's like there was a book called What Got You There Won't Keep You There. That got us here, but that's not the motivation now. Okay, that got you in the room. You picked up the beads because, you know, you were going crazy. You tried every drug in the universe. You had a different girlfriend every day. You, you know, you climbed mountains. You skied down mountains. You surfed the biggest wave. You drove on fast motorcycles. You did it all, and it didn't work, and you become a devotee. But that can't remain the reason you become a devotee. It has to go to something higher. Right? And that's why those classes where you hear about how miserable the material world is, you understand that's what that's what's motivating that devotee more than anything. That's okay, but it needs to evolve. So I really like that point she made. Sri Radha Devi Dasi says, I have tons of faults. I still love myself and I'm going to keep working on those faults in a non-overwhelming way. Meditation to myself. That's perfect. I have tons. Hey, that's a nice one for a t-shirt, Krishna Kanta. I have tons of faults and I still love myself. Of course, some people will look at that and go, why would you love yourself if you have tons of faults? But then you can talk to them about it. You can talk to the devotees about it. I like that. We have to give credit for Sri Radha. I have tons of faults and I still love myself. Or something like that. Or Sri Radha, you can write it up the way you think it should be. Even though I have tons of faults, I still love myself. In spite of having tons of faults, I still love myself. Something like that. Self-envy on the course on Sunday. It's it's um, it's there. Um, Deepa, you're going to get some some articles I've written on self-envy. You should get them today if you haven't gotten them. They'll be sent to you to read. Anandita says, Thank you for reminding us about working in harmony when we are not doing our duty that it makes it difficult for others to do theirs. We have an impact on others. Yeah. I always say, you know, if you're messed up, don't get married because you'll mess your partner up. You know, one of your... One of your duties before you get married is to be a normal, balanced person who can have a normal, balanced, healthy relationship. That's your duty to your partner, at least that much. Cody says, Recently I have learned a lot about relationships from watching your videos. Just want to say thank you. Yeah, Cody, I made all the mistakes for you. You don't have to make them. I have to confirm most devotees from Russia or Ukraine come to Poland and start to live here. They give up KC. They stop. They stop suffering and they leave. And they are leaving. Well, I don't know. If I moved to Poland, I think I'd be more... I think I'd suffer more. But So, um, but you, you know what they need? 
there are 40, apparently 40 Russian devotees in Alachua, and it's a lot nicer here than Ukraine. But um, they have a Russian Sangha. So maybe if you, they had a Russian Sangha with some senior devotees that could help them land in Poland without getting overwhelmed. If you go to Poland and you fall into Maya, Russia must be really bad. <laughs> That's all I can say. Uh, I don't want to offend any Russians. Of course, Nadi's like going, you have no idea how bad it is in Siberia. It's hell on earth. Uh, you skipped my comment, Nadi said, but I really want to emphasize this point. Everything you teach is pulling us out of conditioning. That's amazing how it works. I wasn't even aware of all these things that were going on in a way and disturbing me. Yeah, well, that's part of the problem. That's a good point. So, um, progress in becoming a better person is becoming aware of all these things that um, bother us, upset us. And there's so many things in our life that impact us that we don't realize impact us. But sometimes, if you ever, if you ever act in a way and, and that's, it's not really rational or proper and you ask yourself, why did I do that? There's probably something that's been implanted in you from an experience you had in the past that caused you to act that way. Like, why did I get so upset when this person left my house early? You know, and say, well, because when I was seven, you know, my aunt left me and she said, I never want to see you again. And, you know, you never even thought about it. But that's actually the reason. It's just amazing, you know, like... Who would ever think that could be the reason that I got upset at this person? And, and so I always say, whenever you have an argument, it didn't start on the spot. It started years ago with all this stuff that's happened to you that were affected by it. And, you know, a, a lot, lot of us um, were affected by so many things and we don't realize it. And one of the ways you can realize it is just when you, when you feel bad, just actually feel it and go like what is this what's this connected to why would I why am I feeling this way and maybe you'll discover it and um, what do you do with that feeling just take it out look at it and throw it in the dustbin that might be the best place for it um, okay China had the wrong emoji I didn't even see the emoji um uh, Brajanan says, I thought it was balanced before getting married, which I now find to be not completely true, though I become more balanced by getting married. Yeah, that's a beautiful statement. Tell every uh, Brajananda, any wedding you go to, I think you should say that. Because that's, that, that is the beauty of being marriage, married. You learn things about yourself because your partner is a mirror. And if you don't want a mirror in front of your face, to show you what's wrong with you, I don't recommend getting married because that's what it's all about. And so Brajananda's taking it well and he said, I'm getting better because I'm seeing what's wrong with me. Beautiful. Love it. Put that up in the Brahmacharya Ashram. Oh, you'll get your head chopped off if you do. But that's what Brahmacharis need to hear. Uh, working through conflicts have bettered myself and strengthened our marriage. Yes. Okay. All right. We've gone over time, but it was worth it. Um, good topic. We went completely from Goloka Vrindavan right down into Anartha Loka in like about three seconds. But 
we were going kind of high in the Leela, and I thought, okay, we better come back down to reality. So um, here we are in reality, but I think that was good. Okay, Hare Krishna to all of you, and uh, love yourself. If you don't love yourself, you know, nobody else might. There may be nobody else who does, so you might as well do it. Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Go Premanandi. Hari Hari.